So how many of you have heard of the game, Let's Make a Deal? How many of you heard of that game? Let's, all right, you've heard of the game, Let's Make a Deal. We're going to play Let's Make a Deal this morning. And so in order to play Let's Make a Deal this morning, I need two contestants. This is how we're going to identify our two contestants. I need everybody to take out your program. If you picked up a program when you came in, take out your program, turn your program over, and see if there is an X in the bottom right-hand corner of your program. I got two people. They were in the top of the pile, so I got two people. Where's an X? Come on, I need to see those X's. Where are they? All right, here's one. Come on up, Jolene. All right, Jolene needs another, uh, someone else to compete against. Where's the other X? Come on, somebody's got it, and they don't want to come up. All right, come on up here. We got two competitors up here. Come on up here. We got two of them up here. All right, so tell me your name again. Adam. Okay, Adam, you got to stand over here. All right, Adam, you're going to be competing against Jolene. Kind of turn to face one another. We're going to play a very simple game. It's called rock, paper, scissors. Okay, everybody know how to do that? All right, one, two, three, shoot. Either rock, paper, or scissors. Okay, here we go. You ready? One, you got to put your hand together, Jolene. Come here, here we go. All right, there we go. One, two, three, shoot. All right, here we go again. Tie. One, two, three, shoot. What is that? That's a pointer? I think it's supposed to be two fingers for scissors. So, uh, I don't even know what to do with that. Oh, my goodness. All right, let's try We'll scrap that one. It's got to be two fingers. All right, Adam, all right, here we go. Ready? All right, here we go. Ready? One, two, three, shoot. All right, rock, break, scissors. So we got one for Jolene. All right, here we go. Best two out of three. Can't Got to have best two out of three. Okay, here we go. You ready? One, two, three, shoot. Paper cuts, or scissors cut paper. So one to one. Next one wins. All right, here we go. One, one, two, three, shoot. Rock, break, scissors. So, all right, Jolene is a good co- competitor. Give Jolene a hand. Here you go, Jolene. You can feed that to one of your kids. All right, no, don't go anywhere, Adam. Stay here, stay here, stay here. All right, so you get five bucks. Here you go. Here's your five bucks. Here's your prize. All right, now you have a choice. You can either keep that five bucks or you can trade that five bucks for what's in the box. So what do you think Adam should do? Should he keep the five bucks or trade it for the box? Uh, everybody wants you to trade it for the box. What are you going to do? He's going to keep the money. All right. All right. Well, doesn't get what's in the box, but don't go away yet. You know, you have a chance to choose between door number one, door number two, or door... There's not really a goat behind door number two, but door number one, door number two, door number three. And there's a prize behind each of those doors. And what Adam has to do is he has to avoid the what? The zonk. That's what Adam has to avoid is the zonk. He doesn't want the zonk. So... Which door do you think he should choose? Door number one, door number two, door number three. Let me hear. Which one do you think he should choose? All right, you got to pick, Adam. What are you going to pick? Two. All right, he's going to pick door number two. Now, let's see what was behind door number one. Door number one was a $25 Visa gift card. All right, that's what was behind door number one. What was behind door number three? Behind door number three was... The zonk, so he avoids the zonk. So now what did Adam get for his prize? Behind door number two is a bike ride with me. Way to go, Adam. Congratulations, a bike ride with me. So, all right, for being a good contestant, there's a gift certificate for you, so I get the five bucks back. Thank you. That's ten bucks. You actually came out ahead. So, all right, that was a lot of fun. But if you've ever seen the game, Let's Make a Deal, you know it's crazy people that are dressed up in funny costumes and they get a prize and they have to decide, am I going to trade what I have for something that I hope will be better, but I don't know if it actually will. And I was remembering back when I was a kid and my brother and I, we would collect baseball cards and we'd always be trading these baseball cards between one another and, and with our buddies. And we were always hoping these cards would be better than the cards that we were going to be trading for. That was always 
our hope that we would get a better deal. And, you know, as you get a little bit older, sometimes you trade things in and you hope you get a better deal as well, right? You got a car and you're trading that car in, hoping that you're going to get a better deal. Or you decide this job isn't working out for me and I want a different job. So you decide I'm going to trade this job for that job. Is that going to work out for me? And so this morning we're going to talk about um, when we have to make a trade and what the options are. And this is in the context of a series. If you haven't been with us this fall, we've been in a series entitled Follow. Follow. And what we've seen is that one of the most consistent things that Jesus said to people is he said, follow me, follow me, follow me. What Jesus didn't say is to follow me, you have to be perfect. You have to be a good person. Jesus actually said the exact opposite. He said, i do not that interested in people that are really good. I'm interested in people that have made a mess of their lives. And surprisingly, Jesus was most comfortable with people that were very, very unlike him, radically different than him. He was most comfortable with them. Because they didn't have to be perfect. They didn't have to believe everything he believed because his followers didn't even believe everything right away. It took them until after he died for them to say, oh, that's what he meant. And now I get it. And now I believe. And now I'm convinced. And so Jesus was extraordinarily comfortable with people who were not anything at all like him. And that's what following Jesus is all about. And then the second way we talked about what would it be like for me to... Um, experience the end result of following Jesus? What would my life be like if I did this for a very long period of time? And what we discovered is that what Jesus offers at the end of our lives of following Jesus and walking with him for a very long time is to be able to conquer the fears that grip our hearts. We talked about fears. And we talked about the promise that helps us face those fears is the promise that God is always with me and that Jesus' love will never leave me. And that's what gives us the ability to face those fears. And then last week we talked a little bit about the style. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And and what does a follower of Jesus dress like? And he probably doesn't dress like those people in the 70s, but what what does a follower of Jesus look like and how do they dress? And, And we looked at a passage in Paul's writings where he says, I want you to put on, I want you to add to your wardrobe one of these things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and we added forgiveness onto that. And I challenge you to write that down and tell someone, this is what I need to put on. How many of you told someone, this is what I need to put on? How many of you did that? Let me see your hands. Okay, we got two here. All right, well, we got a little work. There was a few more. We, we got a little work to do on that. Because it's not enough to think about it or write it down. You're not going to do it if that's all you do. You have to tell someone. And that will move you to act because there's a level of accountability that escalates for you. Um, And so that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. And this week, we want to talk about the cost of following Jesus. The cost of following Jesus. Because that cost is going to require you to trade something in your life. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, our guys have some, and they'll pass those out. The page number for the Bible they're distributing is on the screen. And we'd love to have you follow along in your Bible or a Bible they're giving you. If you have a phone or a tablet, um, follow along in some, an, an online Bible. Uh, version is one we always encourage people to have so they have a copy of the Bible with them. Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning.
And this morning we're going to look at a unique passage of Scripture. It's a passage of Scripture where Jesus talks to a group of his followers, and then he talks to a group who weren't following him yet. And look at the message that he has for both of them. And as he does, you know, for those of you that are following Jesus, my guess is you would say if someone asks you, yeah, there's some real benefits. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's maybe a better father, a better husband, better mother, better student, better parent, employer, employer. It's helping to be more gentle, more kind. Some of those words that we put up there, more gracious. Likely your faith has helped you navigate some difficult things in your life. When you weren't sure you could make it through, as you heard some of the students say, or, or you weren't sure where to go, and God's been there walking alongside of and with you and given a firm foundation to navigate the challenges in your life. But in Mark chapter 8, Jesus talks about the cost of following him. And before we get to that cost, he's with a group of his followers and he says to them, so what's the word on the street, guys? What are you hearing about me? What do people say about me? And uh, you've got to be pretty secure to ask those kinds of a question, that kind of a question, you know, what do you think of me? But they said, well, some people thought he was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was the one who came before Jesus. He had actually recently been beheaded, beheaded by King Herod. And he thought that some people thought that he had come back to life. And that's who Jesus was. Other people said, maybe he's Elijah. You said, why would they think Elijah? Well, in the end of the Old Testament, the last book, the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi writes that there will come a day when the prophet Elijah will appear and will turn the hearts of the children back to the parents and the parents back to the children. And Orthodox Jews believe that when the Messiah comes, he will be preceded by Elijah. And they believe this so deeply that around their Passover table, they always set an empty seat for Elijah. And so some thought it was Elijah. Others said, maybe someone else, maybe one of the prophets. So Peter raised his hand and says, I know, I know. And he says, you are the what? The Messiah. The Messiah. The word Messiah is a Hebrew word that means anointed one or chosen one. It's the Greek equivalent to the word um, Christos um, in English or Christ. And the idea of an anointed one is often for a king or someone of great significance. And there would be some oil pointer on their head and they would be designated as the anointed one. And that's who Peter says Jesus was. And Peter was absolutely correct. But Jesus didn't say, you win a prize, now let's go announce it. Jesus said, shh, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. And then he goes on to say this in the next verse. He said, guys, I've got some bad news and some good news. Here's the bad news. The bad news is that the Son of Man, which is me, I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to be rejected by, you can see everybody there, elders, chief priests, teachers, and I'm going to die. Now the good news is I'm going to rise again, but that's not going to happen right away. Um, Jesus is speaking to a group of his followers, likely his disciples who were closest to him, and this news did not set well with Peter. Because you see, Peter had gone from a no-name fisherman who worked all night with a couple of his buddies to kind of be in Jesus' right-hand guy, to kind of be in one of the lead disciples. You know, a guy that went from nothing to now being right there with Jesus when he's feeding the multitudes, when he's healing people everywhere, when he 
calls Peter to come out of the boat and Peter literally walks on the water. And now Jesus says, by the way, Peter, we can go back to the previous verse, it's all going to come crashing down. And if Peter had the job of Jesus' campaign director, I imagine he might have pulled Jesus aside and said, you know, can we just kind of tone it down on the death and dying message? You know, that's not really going to work well with the masses. If we can go to prayer and don't worry, that one's a winner. Let's talk about that often. And I think we'll get more people on board. And so Peter kind of takes Jesus aside in the next verse. And, and he says, I don't think that's where we should be going. And instead of Jesus agreeing with him, look what Jesus said in verse 33. He says, get behind me, Satan. Those are pretty strong terms. Get behind me, Satan. And he associated Peter's intentions with the intentions of Satan. And he says, the reason you don't want to follow me is because you're enjoying the ride. You're enjoying the position. You're enjoying the prestige. You're enjoying everything that comes along with it. And when things get a little tough, when it's uncertain, when it's not going to meet what you want, you immediately turn from a follower to being a consumer because it's all about you. You're not really concerned about what's going to happen to me. You're only concerned about you. And that's what Jesus says. Look what he says. You do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. And what Jesus says there really exposes Peter's heart, but he exposes all of our hearts. All of our hearts. We were talking about this in small group last night where we, we had this um, exercise where we had to sit with uh, a couple of people in our group and we had to listen to what was going on in their lives. And then we had to simply ask them questions about their lives. And we couldn't talk about our own experience. We couldn't give them any advice. We just had to sit and be present with them. And that was hard. That was hard. And we came back together, we talked about it, and we said, why is this so hard? And it's so hard because we're all self-absorbed. All of us, even the most generous, gracious, kind person out there, we are all about ourselves. And that's what Jesus exposed in Peter's life. I want you to take a minute and ask yourself this question. Where do I have in my mind my concerns? Where in my life am I more concerned with my concerns than I am with God's concerns? Where in my life? Maybe it's with your job. You say, well, why else would I have a job other than to make a lot of money? What if God's reason for you having that job is certainly to provide for your family, but to bless and serve others because you excel so well at what you do? What do you want from your marriage? Well, I want to be happy and I want my needs to be met and I'll try to meet hers or his. And What if what God wants is for you to love that other person in such a remarkable way that it reflects the love that God has for us. And that means that there's times you won't be happy and it won't be easy and it might be gut-wrenchingly hard. What do you want for your kids? Well, I just, I hope they don't mess up. I hope they don't blow it. I hope they just don't, you know, embarrass me, you know. I just kind of hope that doesn't happen and 
is what does God want for your kids? And I think what God wants for your kids is He wants their faith, that the faith that you hold dearly to, to become their faith, to become their own. And that might mean they go through some very difficult waters to get there that are very messy and very hard and very embarrassing and very painful. You see how quickly we can drift from, from God's ways to my ways? And my ways don't sound bad. They're not really, not really that awful, but they're not necessarily God's ways. I'm going to challenge you to maybe add this to a prayer that you pray on a regular basis. Just say, God, where are my thoughts and my ways taking the place of your thoughts and your ways? Because until you quiet yourself, like, like Tim talked about the students, until you set aside you know, all of our distractions and devices and, and noise, until you kind of get quiet with God and sit, you're not going to get clarity about what this is. Peter got real great clarity because Jesus was standing there and he pointed it right out to him. But part of this journey for Jesus' followers, remember he's talking to his disciples, he says, I want you to get clarity about what really matters, about what my heart's all about, because that's what I want you to live out when I'm gone. Jesus then turns to the masses, <clears throat> to everybody else, and he starts to talk to the rest of the group about following Jesus. And, and I imagine maybe for some of his disciples, they're like, well, he just tapped us on the shoulder and said, follow me or come with me or do... And we were like, oh yeah, sure, we'll just leave Dad in his business. We'll go follow Jesus. I wonder how he's going to invite the rest of the group to follow Jesus. Maybe our group's going to get bigger and bigger. Maybe eventually we'll have some power and some position and, and some influence in the Roman government. But that's not what Jesus does. He really throws them a, cur a curveball. Because he doesn't say, just jump on the bandwagon and follow me. He talks about the cost. Look what he says in verse 34. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, the first thing he says <clears throat> is must deny themselves. Must deny themselves. Now, this is a little more than occasionally saying, I think I'm going to pass on dessert, you know. Or I think I'm going to skip seconds, you know. That's kind of what we think about in our culture, about denying ourselves, you know. But Jesus is talking about something a whole lot weightier and more difficult than that. Jesus is saying there's times in your life where you're going to be at a crossroads where you have a choice. You will be able to do what you want to do, what feels good, what's enjoyable, what all your buddies are doing, what all your friends are doing, what your family's pressuring you into, or you're going to follow Jesus. And it's not going to feel good. And it's going to be hard. And you're going to feel rejected. And you're going to feel left out and on the outside. But he says, if you want to be my disciple, there's going to come these times in your life, these forks in the road, where you're going to have to go one direction or the other. <clears throat> I remember a fork in the road when I was in grad school and I was working in a, a restaurant setting and one of the things I was just starting to figure out about myself was how important relationships were and, and being accepted and fitting in and here I was a seminary student. I'm working in a, a secular environment, and there's maybe a couple people that are Christ followers in the whole restaurant. And so you kind of want to feel, fit in, feel like you're a part of what's going on there. And, and um, 
I remember early on I had a boss and he found out that I was a Christ follower and that I was a, grad, a seminary student. And, and he started doing things, um, took me a little while to figure on, just to see where my line was. And um, I remember when, one time when he, he brought in some sex toys and sat them on the counter right where I work, you know. What's I going to do with that, you know? And some of the conversations and where those conversations were going, what was I going to do with that? And I remember thinking, I'm in a crossroads. I want to be accepted. I want to fit in. Um, I don't want to stand out like a sore thumb. Um, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And Jesus says, there are times in your life you're going to have to say no to follow Jesus. The second thing he says is you're going to have to take up your cross you're going to have to take up your cross. Now, he's not talking about a piece of jewelry, something you might wear around your neck that's kind of fashionable, or, or maybe something you have in your home that's somewhat decorative. Jesus is talking here about crucifixion, about dying. Crucifixion was a horrible, terrifying event. It was brutal. It was a symbol of death, and everybody in that culture knew about this because this wasn't just something that happened to Jesus. This was a form of death that the Roman government used to control the people. Say, so how did they use it to control the people? Because when someone committed a crime, they would sentence that person to crucifixion. They would hang that person on the cross on a public right away, and they would leave their body there till they died, and then while it was decaying. So they eventually took it down and threw it in the garbage heap. And so people knew what the sight of crucifixion meant. They knew what the sound of crucifixion meant. They knew what the smell of crucifixion meant. When you heard that word carry across, you knew there was only one place you were going to end up in, and that is dead, dying a horrific death. And so Jesus says, yeah, to follow me, if we can go back to, go back to that verse, yeah, to follow me, he says, you're going to have to take up your cross. And then you can follow me. So much different than when he said to his original disciples, just come, come on guys, come on guys. The cost has gotten much higher. The stakes are much higher. You know, when Adam was just playing rock, paper, scissors, he didn't have anything to lose. He could just say, yeah, I'll play the game. You know, I'll come up front and do that. But, but now he's got five bucks and he's got to decide, do I want the stakes are a little higher? Do I want whatever's in that goofy box? Who knows what John's going to spring in that box to jump out at me, you know? And so the stakes have suddenly got higher. And I was thinking about the people that were sitting there listening. You know, some of them, they might have been Jesus groupies and they're like, yeah, the free food, that was great, Jesus. You know, that was pretty awesome how you did that. And, and, and I was kind of, you know, I had this kind of, uh, you know, disease thingy, and you kind of took care of that for me, and, and that was kind of cool. And I was hoping I was going to get to see one of the walk-on-the-water deals. But, but you know what? I think I'm good. I'm good. I've kind of had enough. The ride's been good. I'm going to get off. I'll let other people follow you. Maybe some of the individuals... Their thought was, you know, this has been kind of a fun experience, but I'm not quite ready to follow Jesus yet. 
you know, I'd kind of like to, you know, get, get married and maybe have a family and, and start a career and be successful in business. And, and maybe when I get to my golden years, then I'll follow Jesus. And I'll probably need some help with the carrying the cross thing because it'll be too heavy for me then. But, but when I get there, then I'll follow Jesus. But not now. Not now. Because the reality is, is you're going to have to give something up to follow Jesus. There's going to be a cost associated with it. He goes on to describe it in verse 35. He says, whoever, for those who want to save their life, will lose it. Now let me ask you this question. Honestly, how many of you on a regular basis, I'll let you determine regular, how many of you on a regular basis do some form of exercise? Let me see your hand. Okay. Uh, how many of you on some kind of a regular basis try to eat healthy? Let me see your hands. Okay. Nobody under the age of 25 just put their hands in the air. You know, so. uh, how many of you on some kind of regular basis um, go to the doctor and try to do what the doctor says? Let me see your hands. Less people there. You know. um, but the reality is, why do we do all those things? Why do we exercise? Why do we eat healthy? Why try to do the doctor? What are we trying to do? We're trying to extend what? Life, right? We're trying to extend life. We, we don't want our lives to end. We want to save our lives. We want to extend our lives as long out as we possibly can. But the reality is no matter what we do, at some point our lives are going to come to an end. Come to an end. And so Jesus says, you know, you can spend all your life trying to save it, but eventually you're going to lose it. But then he gives an alternative. He says, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, for the followers of Jesus in that day, um, that was their physical lives. Peter and John were thrown into prison. Many of the disciples of Jesus were, were killed as martyrs. And there are parts of our world today where people who live out their faith, whose decisions to follow Jesus require them to recognize the reality that this might cost them their lives. I was in a leadership setting back last month, and twice in this leadership setting with Christian leaders, they talked about the change in the climate in our culture towards people of faith. And they said the culture is becoming increasingly hostile to people of faith. And I found myself wondering, would I still do what I do if it meant I might go to prison for that? And will that happen in my lifetime? I don't know. I just read a letter from a guy that does ministry over in Russia. There's a new law passed in Russia. I don't know if you heard about this, that forbids any public gatherings where the gospel is presented. And they're trying to understand, does that mean you know, a church service that's in a place, a small group setting that's in a place? And so it makes me wonder, what will I have to sacrifice for the gospel? It may not be those things for you, 
But the reality is, is if you choose to follow Jesus, at some point in your journey, it will cost you something. If you choose to follow Jesus and you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't share their faith, or they say they're a, a person of faith, but, but you watch their lives and you listen to their actions, you say, this person doesn't really act like a person of faith. And you decide, I'm not sure I want to continue in that relationship. It's going to cost you something. If you're in a business partnership and your partner says, you know, we need to increase our profits and these are some ways we can do that. And if we're just going to take, we're just going to give our employees less and we're going to try to find some ways to, you know, to, to merge, to, to skirt things with the IRS. And you're like, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. We need to treat people well. We need to follow the rules. And no, this is the way it's going to be. You might, might cost you something. If you kind of had this dream job and you're pursuing that, you've gotten your education, you're climbing the ladder, and you realize to pursue that job is going to cost you something that you really value and that you know God values. And you have to decide, am I willing to give that up because I'm committed to following Jesus? In verse 36, Jesus asks some hypothetical questions. He says, what good is it for some of you to gain the whole world yet to forfeit their soul? Kind of has this pretend game. He said, imagine this would show up on your doorstep tomorrow. And you're like, guess what, honey? We can get the car of our dreams. We can buy the house of our dreams. We can plan the vacation, the, the cabin in the woods of our dreams. What would it look like if you were to gain everything but at the cost of one thing, and that's your soul? You realize you traded it all away for your soul. You say, what does it mean to lose your soul? Does that mean eternal torment? Does it mean hell? Does it mean suffering? Does it mean you no longer exist? Whatever awaits you if you exchange everything in your life for that is not good at all. He then goes on in verse 7, 37 to say, what could you give in exchange for your soul? What if you got to the end of your life and you realized you had pursued all of these things, but you got one last chance to make a trade? One last chance. I remember the game that we played a lot when I was a kid with my siblings. It's the game of life. And the original game of life, when you would get all the way to the end of the board of life, if you weren't doing real well, you had one opportunity. Anybody remember what you could become? A what? A millionaire? What? Tycoon, right? You put all your money, all your possessions on one number. You spin that wheel, brrr, you know, and you see if you would land on that number and then you would defeat everybody. One shot. Now you just get to go live in countryside acres. I don't know, that's not as much fun as wiping everybody else out, but that's what you do now. And that's kind of what Jesus said. What if you could trade everything? You got everything you wanted, but you realize you lost who you were, would you trade it all to get that back? And so he says, what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? There's nothing good about that. He said, what would you give in exchange for your soul? Probably give everything. Probably give everything. As you think about this cost of following Jesus, the cost, 
all of a sudden it starts to put it in a very different perspective. Because those of you afraid to follow, afraid what you might have to give up, afraid of what you might have to sacrifice or say no, you just discovered something. You just discovered that your soul has much greater value than anything you own, any relationship. You trade anything for your soul. Jesus says there in verse 38, He says, If anyone's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the Father's glory with his angels. This happened to Peter three times. He denied he knew Jesus or anything to do with Jesus. But somehow God in His mercy and grace gave him another chance follow him salvation's free the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord but following Jesus in our lifetime in this generation will at one point in time cost you something following Jesus in your lifetime it's going to cost you something. I'm going to close with this story that I heard Andy Stanley tell, and he was talking about, he told the story of one time he was leaving church, and it was late at night, and he saw a guy walking out of the parking lot and walking down the street, and the weather was a bit inclement. And uh, so he w- w- drove up, rolled down his window, said, where are you going? He said, I'm walking home. It's a few blocks away. He said, jump in, I'll give you a ride. And so um, as he jumped in, was giving him a ride, he said, um, you know, what's your name and, and what do you do? He's like, well, I'm, I don't have a job right now, but I love volunteering here at you know, our church. And I love serving. It really brings me life and joy, but I'm just kind of praying for God to provide a job. And he said, well, did you go to school? He said, yeah, I went to college. He said, what did you go to t- college for? He said, you know, to work in the, um, you know, work in the multimedia industry. And, and he said, uh, he said I, I do have this opportunity. And he said, uh, a company that I was really interested in, um, they offered me the job of a lifetime, the job that I dreamed about. And, and he said, basically what happens is I get to sit in, a, in, a, in an office with all the v- channels that are streaming to your, through your um, cable provider, and I'm in charge of directing what goes where. And he said, well, that sounds like a great opportunity. Why, why, why aren't you pursuing this job? He said, well, there's a problem. He said, one of the channels that is in front of all these channels in front of me, it's one over here to the side, but one of these channels is adult-only content. And... Um, as much as it's my dream job, I knew as soon as I saw that bank of channels and I saw this one over here, I knew that I just couldn't do it. I said, why? He said, because God would not be pleased with me if that would be a part of my regular viewing activities, even if it's part of my job. And he said, so what are you going to do with this opportunity? He says, I, I really don't know. And he said, would you let me know what happened? And so he heard from him about a week or two later, and he said, I went back into this company that offered me the job of a lifetime. Didn't even interview me for the job. Saw my resume, offered me a job right on the spot, making more money than I ever could imagine. And he said, I turned the job down. And he said, if you tell my story to the church, he asked him if he could have permission. He said, please tell them that even though I didn't get the job of a lifetime, that God has provided everything that I need. And there's this verse in Jeremiah 26 that says, For I know the plans that I have for you. 
plans to prosper and to do well. And he said, I don't know how or I don't know in what way God's going to provide or what God's going to do next, but I knew I was at a crossroads and I knew I had to make a decision. And he said, following Jesus cost that young man something that day. And so for you, as you think about where you're at in life, some of you may be at a crossroads like that right now. Where you know that following Jesus is going to cost you something. And maybe you're not at that crossroads, but maybe you're at a place and you're wondering, what would I do if in that situation? Would I have the courage to follow Jesus and to say no? when living out my faith and following Him might cost me something. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer this morning? And as we do, if you're at one of those crossroads, I just want to give you a moment just to talk to God. And just ask Him for His help. to follow Jesus. And if you're not at one of those crossroads, maybe you just need to say, God, I, I don't know when, but I think what John's saying is true. I, I think at some point in time, I will face a crossroad like that. And um, I'm going to need your help because just like those students needed your help carrying those news, I'm going to need your help to choose to follow you. God, often when we think about following Jesus, we want people to see the benefits, the rewards, the joys, the highlights, but there's a cost. But when we sit and we think about that cost and what we're trading, we realize it's worth everything. And so God, I pray specifically today for those individuals that are at a crossroads. Crossroads in a relationship, crossroads financially, crossroads in a career, And to say no to Jesus and say no to those things is going to be hard because it's going to be a loss to say yes to Jesus. And for the rest, God, I pray that you might give them the courage that when that day comes, even if it might not be a cost of their lives, that you ask them to give up something they value, something they treasure, that they might have the capacity to do that. Help us, God, because we can't do this on your own. On our own, we need you. In your name, amen. Let's all stand for our closing.